Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 218 of the Chills of Will podcast. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Melissa Rivero. Melissa Rivero is the author of The Affairs of the Falcons, winner of the 2019 New American Voices Award and a 2020 International Latino Book Award. The book was also long listed for the Penn Hemingway Award for Debut Novel, the Center for Fiction's First Novel Prize, and the Aspen Words Literary Prize. Her most recent novel, the main focus of our conversation today, is Flores and Miss Paula, and it was published in December 2023, about a month ago. Born in Lima, Peru, and raised in Brooklyn, she is a graduate of NYU and Brooklyn Law School, where she was an editor of the Brooklyn Law Review. Melissa still lives in Brooklyn with her family, which I believe is where we're talking to her today from. How are you this evening? Good to have you. Well, hi. Thank you for having me. Question for you about your last book that I just thought of with the bio. So is it pronounced as Falcons or Falcons? Because I see an accent Falcons. There. Yeah, Falcons. Okay, because I feel like there'd be like a major Spanglish there if you did like Falcones. Yes, right. right. Yeah, but Falcones, I try. I mean, I, I assuming you didn't read the book, there's a uh, character in the book who is very much like Spanish, has to be this way. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, a family name, you would say the Joneses in Span in English, right? Okay, Whereas right, right. Spanish, it's like, it's the singular. So Los Falcón. Uh-huh. Um, and so I just played with it a little bit and made it a little bit more of, of something that this person would not be happy with. <laughs> but uh-huh. I don't Well, okay. I appreciate that. How's it been? Like I said, it's, you know, it's, we're talking on January 2nd. How's it been in the month or so since the book came out? I'd love to know some of the, the feedback on Flores and Miss Paula. Well, I, honestly, I try to avoid reviews, <laughs> reading reviews as much as possible. Um, my book came out on December 5th. We had the launch event on December 6th, which was which was also the day that my youngest was like projectile vomiting. And so oh I God. unfortunately had to leave him at home with a fever. Um, he had a stomach bug that then went around uh, to my other son, my husband. Uh, that was followed up by strep, a, a trip to the ER, the flu. And somehow I have not gotten any of those things from... Oh any my of my God. kids or my husband. So um, really December, as much as I would have liked to say that it has been nothing but the book, it has literally been me just like caretaking oh. for three individuals. So, yeah. Dang it. Well, I hope you get uh, some time to, to, you know, to celebrate it. And all the congratulations coming from around the country, around the world, all your readers. Oh man. And movies and TV shows, right? They always, when they rarely do feature like writers, it's always very Truman Capote, cigarettes and parties. Not quite, huh? No, I wish. I don't know who those writers are. Like I, 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 everyone, every writer that I know lives like a real life. Um, the, the feedback that I have heard just, you know, I mean, it was cool to see the book on the Today Show. Um, it was, uh, it was 
in, in People Magazine and in the New York Times. So all that stuff is great. Um, but the reality is that, uh, you know, the book will have a life of its own and your life as the writer goes on. You know, I sold the book now two years ago. So okay. I'm very much um, actively engaged with the thing that I'm working on now. Mm. Um, and so in many ways, I have to catch up to like with the book, with the book's life now that it's out in the world right. in some way. You know what I mean? Right. Well, shoot, I was planning on like quizzing you on like, you know, what's the 35th word on the 24th page? <laughs> so maybe, dang it, maybe I should change my plan here. huh? But I usually ask towards the end, but I wonder, and you don't have to share if you don't want, but I wonder maybe about that future project, what you might be working on. Um, I mean, right now it's mostly centered on for friends. I don't know. I'm at the stage, I'm at the fun part of the writing, um, which is where I'm still trying to figure out their voices. I'm trying to figure out if really it's one person's story, mm. um, if uh, if it's best for me to really kind of follow one character or if I can jump around. Um, so I'm really just playing with it right yeah. now. I'm far enough along that I think I'm 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 in it. Like I'm engaged mm. in it. I find it um, uh, challenging in a good way. Mm. So I think I'm going to stick with it. But um, yeah, you know, it's it, it 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 it's challenging at times to sort of stay in that writing frame of mind mm -hmm. um, when you're you have a book out in the world. Um, and also obviously when you have life happening, mm. um, but I try to read as much as I, as much as I can. Sometimes I don't necessarily like to read if I'm actively engaged in the okay. work. Um, but that's when I pick up things that I would normally okay. not pick up, you know, um, like a comic book. I love reading comic books. So that's usually what I go to sometimes, uh. um, or, uh, I haven't read YA or like a short story collection mm. or um, what else am I reading now that is kind of keeps me or I go back to some of the things that I love. Like I love Edith Wharton's work. So I'll go back to like okay. reread some of her stuff mm. uh, or Jane Austen's stuff or mm. things that I've already read. Sure. Um, but that also helps me to look at my own work in a different way. Mm. I, I think maybe as a New Yorker might say, you know, not for nothing, but um, the, I don't know that it gets any better than one of the phrases from your book from Flotus and Miss Paula when you right. So we'll talk about the book in a minute, but it works at like an online like aquarium fish service and the kind of like the influencers, the people online, the online community, they're known as aficionados. Yeah. I mean, that's you must have pat yourself on the back for that one, right? That's no, I just thought it was funny. funny. I just thought it was one. funny. Yeah. Like F-I-S-H for those listening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked a little bit about like Edith Wharton and some of the reading that, you know, gives you comfort, if you will, or, or challenges you. I wonder kind of like about your uh, about growing up and being from Peru. I wonder, like, was English and Spanish spoken at home equally? Was it all Spanish until you went to school? I'm interested in your, your language and your kind of like your reading life. Like, what were you into? What were you reading as a kid? It was mostly Spanish, mostly Spanish at home. I'd say mostly because my brothers and I spoke in English um, once we started school. Mm. But with my parents, it was it's ex it still is with my mom exclusively Spanish. Okay. Same with my extended family, my aunts, my grandmother, who's 104. Um, and I have two children, as I 
maybe mentioned or not earlier, but mm -hmm. I do speak to them only in Spanish. Nice. So my husband's Polish. He does not speak to them in Polish, <laughs> um, even though the kids go to like a dual language Polish school here oh, wow. um, in New York. But we do try to, I, I do think it's important to teach as, if, even if they don't end up speaking it, at least for them to hear the language. Uh -huh. I grew up hearing so much Spanish that I sometimes, um, sometimes it's just easier for me to explain things or to say mm. things or to find rhythm in uh in that language mm -hmm. um so so yeah it, it was pretty much a, a i i grew up speaking spanish um i learned to read and write in spanish before i went to kindergarten so mm -hmm. i remember having trouble like s not so much switching but you know whenever i would hear the word c for example mm -hmm. i would think oh do i spell it as i or is it the english s-e-e -E or s-e-a mm -hmm. um but yeah, I did. I did sometimes uh, sit with language a little longer, probably than someone who is monolingual mm -hmm. would. In terms of reading, um, I read pretty. I mean, I read whatever um, was assigned to me at school. The first thing that I ever read that I loved, I remember, was uh, Miss Nelson is Missing, which I still have. Oh yeah, classic. Yeah, classic. I loved that book, and I remember reading it over and over again in the, you know, just taking it out from the school library mm -hmm. um, and just loving it. Um, but I usually read whatever was assigned to me. I really didn't come into my own as a reader, I would say, until I was in high school. But when I was in uh, middle school, I did a lot of writing and my teachers would submit some of my creative writing to competitions. Mm. Um, and I would win. I would win some second place third place kind of thing so I and the first thing that I ever wrote which was a poem I think I was about five or six years old mm. um, so I was very young but that was in Spanish mm. so yeah so to answer your question um or I guess maybe I've been answering it I don't know or not <laughs> but like I started I sort of started off with Spanish um but most of my creative writing even though it, it's, I started with Spanish, it, you know, it is in English. Mm -hmm. It wasn't English. As far as Spanish goes, Peruvian Spanish, obviously there's not just one type. In my unexpert opinion, you know, in my unexpert knowledge, right? You think of like, let's say Spain. Spain, is, I guess, is very heavy on the tú and more like Central American, Salvador, El Salvador, Guatemala is more heavy on usted. Where does Peruvian fall in that? Is it is it very heavy on usted, tú? No, I think it's more informal, like okay. tú. Like, is that appropriate to speak to your parents using tu, or does that depend on the family? Yeah, I, I mean, I would speak to my parents using tu. I had uh, one of my best friends as a kid was Colombian, and she would mm. address her dad as usted. Uh-huh. Not how I would address my my mom or dad. And yeah, man, uh, I, you know, Miss Nelson seemed to be such a sweetheart. Like, she really channeled some dark energy with, with uh, Viola Swamp, huh? I don't yes. know how well you remember the book. Like, geez. No, I re I remember the book very well. Yeah, and I remember, you know, when I was when I reread it as an adult to my kids, it was like, you know, she became this this person that that was supposed to be ugly, and I kind of didn't find Viola Swamp ugly. I don't think you, she needed to be ugly to be mean, but um, obviously that was like her her costume, sure. right? Sure. Um, but anyway, I started to maybe overanalyze it. <laughs> <laughs> and it started with its luster. So I was like, I put, let me put it away. <laughs> Coming in 2025, Melissa Rivero and Pete Real co-edit. You know? 
like an anthology on Miss Nelson. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. I wonder like about particular like Peruvian writers. I mean, I, I, I want to say Yosa, Vargas Yosa. Yes, I did. I did love Vargas Yosa. Um, I haven't read any of his works recently. Um, and then there's a Peruvian poet that I recently discovered. Where's her book? I usually have it here. Um, Blanca Varela, I think her name is. Um, but she's recently translated. She's now, now I want to look it up because I'm like, I used mm -hmm. to have it here and I moved all of my poetry books to a different part of the apartment. I'm going to look it up for you. You're saying, you're saying but, you know, Blanca it. Varela? Yeah, but um, but yeah, Ma Mario Vargas Llosa was the only one that I really read because he's the only one I was exposed to. Um, okay. I did really love, and now I'm sort of seeking it out on my own, but mm -hmm. uh, Claudia Salazar Jimenez wrote a book called um, uh, The Blood of the Dawn, Blood of the Dawn, okay. which came out, I think, say 12 years ago, maybe 10 years ago now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a short book, but it is beautifully written about Sendero Luminoso. I mean, to the extent that it's, you know, it could be beautiful of a topic, but um, Sendero Luminoso from the perspective oh, okay. of three different women. Um, and I found that book to be very compelling. Uh, I met her. Well, I didn't, I didn't, I, I introduced myself to her at an event recently and I was just like you know, fangirling on the inside <laughs> and she was just like, okay, hi, I got to go to a, <laughs> go to the airport. I'm going to Peru in a few hours. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh but she's so yes, great so yes game past can say blanca varela did die in 2009 but yes yeah um, so her poetry her poetry collection of, recently was published i want to say it's it translated um maybe a year two years ago okay. um but those poems were, were were very moving it was my first time really being exposed to a peruvian poet uh, or at least, you know, someone who's uh, recently passed away, um, a mm -hmm. friend of mine, uh, Monica Carrillo, she's also and she's a, she's a Peruvian poet as well. She's a spoken word artist. Um, and I find I mean, she really she talks primarily about the uh, black experience in Peru, what it is to be an indigenous Afro-Peruvian. Mm -hmm. um, and her work is also just remarkable. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you were going for simply simply just a Tupac Shakur reference when one of the I think it was when uh, when Yoli was young she wearing her it was either her or Daniela wearing the Tupac I don't know if that was a Luminoso reference oh no it wasn't oh, but well wow, no yeah I didn't even think of that looking too deep in it all <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I mean I love Tupac so <laughs> I only yeah. I mean I put him I I didn't I didn't make the connection with um upset, right? with, yeah with the, people um, you were talking about like um. Well, I, I guess, you know, you're talking about like translation. And so I wonder about like um, Daniel Olivas is a writer that I talked to. He's a Mexican-American. He would call himself Chicano from Los Angeles area. And he said, I think I'm getting this right. He said something effective when people read, someone read his work in English, they said, oh, it has a, it has a Spanish flavor to it. It has a Spanish feel to it, which is very much a compliment, right? Do you feel like, uh, what do you feel like that your knowledge of Spanish, do you feel like it informs your writing in English? I mean, can you see patterns you know what i mean or, or is there something about the spanish that you speak that is especially flowery or brief or you know what i mean is, i wonder how your spanish affects your english writing i don't know actually i mean if it affects it it is uh it's not consciously done i don't i don't think i mean i do look i do like here like my for me it's more about like the 
like if if it if when I say the words, there's the the rhythm picks up or it does something to the rhythm of the sentence or okay. of the paragraph. But I don't know, I can't say that it's like a seasoning, you know, like yeah, on yeah. like like I don't I don't intentionally pepper Spanish in. It's more of um does it does it feel and does it sound uh, like what it is that I want to convey, like the yeah. emotion and the sentiment? So, okay. um, yeah, I mean, I mostly, you know, I I, I think and I mostly think and write in Spanish and I'm in, in English rather. And I know that that's might be like a, a strange thing to say, but, you know, there were often times when I was learning French that I would dream in French, and, you mm. know, um, and sometimes like. Uh, when I was writing this book, like Paula would really come to me in in, mm. in Spanish. Um, and so I've, that that's when I felt like I was sort of translating her on yeah. the page yeah. versus Flores, who didn't come to me in Spanish. OK. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I, I like I, I was really drawn in by the I, I think the one dream scene from the book with where Miss Paula was thinking of her of Martin. That that dream scene was interesting to me. I'm always I'm always kind of floored by dream scenes. I wonder about like maybe the kind of the balance between fiction and nonfiction. You know, you hear a lot of writers of teachers of writing say, "Write what you know." And you can, you know, plead the fifth about how much of uh, of Yoli or or Flores is you or based on you or, or not at all. But I just wonder about how much you felt like um, this book was a complete departure from what you know and how much of it you use real life experiences. And I want an exact percentage, please. <laughs> uh, 56.2%. Oh, nice. no, okay. um, you know, it's funny. I my husband once said to me when I was really sort of in it in in the work in my first novel where I really thought I'm not going to finish this book. I don't know why I do it. Why am I doing it? Um, he took a hard look at me and he's like, you do it because you're excavating, you're mm. excavating, you're finding out something about you. And I actually think that um, at least for me, I can't speak for other writers, but I write because I don't know. <laughs> mm. I'm trying to find out. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to uh, understand, I guess, in some ways myself, um, but also these characters that seem to be wanting to say something to me or say something through me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I mean, of course, like I, you know, any writer who says that they don't, that are, they are in no way influenced by their life is not being honest. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're not. Um, I, you're, you are going to borrow and you are, and you're going to change it and expand on it, or, um, you, you're going to make it something that is different, but you are going to take some sort of inspiration from the world. That's, I mean, how, how else, how else can you create, you know, sure, um, sure. but by using the things that are around you. So, um, you know, I did work at a startup. Um, I, uh, did lose my father to cancer mm -hmm. as well. 
Um, I think that for me, the story, re- the the novel started off as a short story exercise. Mm. I was taking a short story class and uh, I just wrote what was a, a scene that takes place at the end of the book was the first thing that I wrote. Okay. And so from there, it sort of started to become this novel I found. And I thought it was going to be just about Flores at first mm. um, and sort of her her journey as a as a, as a person who thought she had it kind of all figured out but didn't mm. um and then i started to hear her you know, paula's voice mm. um, and that voice came in very strongly and i told myself okay i either need to make this person this character much larger than what she was supposed to be or I need to write a whole separate book for her Mm -hmm. because she's just so loud um and so I started writing to her writing you know Paula's parts and Paula's parts were coming in not as you know first person but in direct address and so Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting I was like, okay, well, why is she addressing her daughter? And so then that, so that's, that's the fun part, right? You're trying to figure out what the story yeah. is about. Um, but I wanted it to be, but of course I, I, I use the things that were familiar to me, right? Like, where could I put Paula? What kind of, and meaning like, where could I put her in her life, right? What stage mm. in life is she, mm. that she's saying these things to her daughter? Where does she work? Does she work or is she retired? What are her passions? Who are her friends? What are the things that she's struggling with? Um, and the same thing for Flores. So um, during the during the pandemic, a lot of the a lot of the things that um, I was struggling with externally, um, I started to pretty much address in the book. Right, like I was still working full time, but I was home, and my kids were in school. My husband went back to work, like in person very soon after lockdown like we we went into lockdown in march he went back in june or maybe mm-hmm. yeah so um but i was still home with the kids for for months right so um i missed being at work i also missed my commute because my commute was when i would write <laughs> so uh-huh. i didn't have that i would write in coffee shops too obviously i wasn't going to coffee shops and i'm sure you know in new york you know covid hit really hard and we would hear the sirens all the time. My, you know, we lost family in Peru, friends here in New York. Um, and so I think a lot of that brought up some of the things that I knew was happening with Flores and Paula, but that I didn't necessarily want to address because they were very close to me, mm. meaning like, you know, the death of the father. Mm. Um, but the truth is I missed work. So I really wanted to delve back into uh, Flores and Paula's workplace environment because they were hanging out with people in real life. <laughs> um, and um, I uh, I also wanted to just be a writer again, right? Um, and I, I I just had to, I, I, I allowed myself to play more and to go into places that I probably would have taken me longer had it not been for <laughs> me being forced to be in this like small apartment in Brooklyn with my kids and feeling like, you know, what, what, who am I? What, what am I, what am I doing? Like I need some sense of normalcy. So right. I have to 
just jump to dive into this project. Oh, wow. The title is Flores and Miss Paula. And Flores is her last name that she's basically, she's called that at work. And then Miss Paula, you know, obviously she's Paula. Um, Miss Paula is, uh, let's say Shanti, you know, one of her coworkers calls her that. Maybe he's only one, but, you know, maybe others. But I, I wonder about like the last, I mean, is this, is this Flores? Is this because, you know, working, like I said, this startup, like works with like fish and aquariums. Is she just one of, is this kind of like your way of saying she's just like a number? She's just a last name? Yes, she's just a last name. Yeah. Um, because there were other Monica's, mm -hmm. uh, they were just like, well, you'll be this Monica. Like someone was telling her who she was. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in some ways, you know, she'd had to, uh, she had to figure out who she who who it is that she was, right? Or mm. or or is. Um, and it's not to say that she's not Flores. Like certainly a part of her is that person. Right. It is that ambitious, uh, go getter. Like I have a goal, and mm -hmm. I only see my goal type of person. Yeah. Um. With with Paula, yeah, it was Miss Paula because there's an element of respect there, of deference. Yeah as she's being called Miss Paula, she's an elder in some yeah. ways. She's also a miss, like, which mm -hmm. people associate with someone who's younger, right? So yeah. I wanted to, to 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 play on that as well. Yeah. Yeah, the idea, you know, don't judge a book of its cover, like, seems like a lot of covers do pull people in. And your title, the title is so cool. I, 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 I felt a lot there. I felt that that corporate, um, you know, like you talk about the corporate thing where she's just kind of replaceable or she's one of a few but also kind of like a, like kind of like a bro culture. Like what's up Flores? Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. And then definitely the Miss Paula. And like you said, the fact that she's not Mrs. She's Miss. Uh, very interesting. And really mm -hmm. pulls the reader in. The structure is that, um, like you said, that's, I couldn't think of the word and I'm probably gonna mispronounce it, but epistolary, right? Where the Miss Paula, the mom is basically like, like writing letters or a direct address to her daughter. Mm -hmm. It's interspersed with these chapters where Flores or, or Monica or Yoli talking about what's going on in her life. As an uh, Italian-American, I'm contractually obligated to like Frank Sinatra. So I'm thinking of uh, it was a very good year. We talked about all the different seasons. And I love the way that this book starts. starts out in spring and it ends in autumn. So obviously we have the four. So I wonder about the the structure with, um, you know, using the seasons mm -hmm. tra and transition and such and how those kind of connect. I really wanted to... I feel like there are seasons for feelings too, right? Mm -hmm. um, like there's a, there's a, not that, not that grief is ever something that kind of goes away, but at some point we have to, we have to kind of be like, okay, I have to not move on, but I have to live with this in a different way. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and when you lose someone to, at least this is what I've found, mm -hmm. um, there are times when the grief just feels heavier where it feels a little bit harder to uh to live alongside yeah um, and for them it was this period where martin came home from the hospital mm -hmm. um and uh it just so happens to be marked by sort of these transitions of the seasons but it's a transition for them as well and they um now in the present right but they're they're both mother and daughter are still reluctant to transition in their lives in general yeah. so i tried to that's sort of what i was i was thinking of as we were moving through you know a little bit of spring most of summer mm. and some fall um and with 
summer in particular, you know, it's such a sunny time, right? It's such a, it's a time when it's, everyone seems to be more alive in many mm. ways. Um, but it can also be a tumultuous time depending on where you are in the world. Um, and for them, it's certainly internally uh, a, a, a tumultuous time. Yalia Flores in the book, she kind of talks about she doesn't really know how to respond or she, it's not awkward, but you know, when people say, oh, I'm sorry for your loss, like it was like in a job interview, but I, I would say to you, I'm sorry for your loss of your father. And I thought you wrote so movingly so well about those, those periods. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm in that season right now with some of my own grief around the, around the holidays and, you know, mm -hmm. November and December, right. And where everything is marked by that, right. Right. Everything is marked by your loss and spring will never be the same or July will never be the same or, or, or whatever, depending on the person. So I thought you really, um, really were right on with that for sure. You talk about action, getting right into the book. And I'm putting you on the spot. I, I'm happy to read it if you want to have the book here. But I wonder if you might read the first paragraph or so of the book. Oh, uh, yeah. I, like I said, I put you on the spot, but I, you just got right to it. And I was like, man, I am hooked immediately. Maybe ending with the note in Spanish. Yeah, sure. I find a note under my father's urn on the morning that marks what would have been his 63rd birthday. It has been rolled like a scroll and flattened under the weight of the wooden box that houses his ashes. The paper is white and unlined, its corners sharp, sharp enough to slice the skin on my hardened fingers. The ink is black and faded, but I recognize my mother's elongated loops descending towards the edge of the paper. Perdóname si te fallé. Recuerda que siempre te quise. Now that is how you pull the reader in. All those details in the first sentence about the certain birthday and the the urn and you know all the things that that brings up and the, and the reader very very successful. The mother and daughter have sort of a, I mean I don't know cold I think is too strong of a word. They they fight. They live together. She said something I think in that first scene kind of where you read where she being Flores or Yoli she's she's basically like whoa my mom never asked for forgiveness like that's so rare meaning that she doesn't yeah. get that from her mom right. Right. Um, right. So the Spanish is basically right. What, you know, what, pardon me, forgive me if I mess up, if I fall. If I failed you. If I failed you, te fallé, gracias. And then, you know, remember that I've always, I always loved you. And the thought right away from, from Yoli is, oh, what did, what did mom do? Like, what's up with that? And it's a weird way to, I guess it's something, but it's a weird way to ask for forgiveness. So that really starts the, the action. Paula, mm -hmm. Paula works at Dollar Bills, mm -hmm. which, and she has like her two year anniversary there towards the beginning of the book. Um, Flores, like we talked about, works at this, at this startup. She talks at times, she doesn't speak so much Spanish, which kind of in, kind of in stark relief to Max. Max is like the big, you know, hotshot who comes into the company, right? He's Mexican with kind of like cosmopolitan background, right? He's very worldly, he speaks multiple languages. He's kind of like a celebrity, no? Yes. Yes. I wanted him to be like, you know, I grew up watching telenovelas and he's like the galan, you know, he's like yeah. the guy. The, yeah. yeah the, hot, the, the hot shot. There's so much that you do in this book that is so well done. You don't hit the reader over the head with morals or whatever, but like, except for being way, way, way more and more handsome, right? The, a lot of the dudes in the novellas, they look like me, right? They're very fair skinned European, right? And Max seems to have that, that he's, yes. I think, right? He has like the European, you know, background, which you talk about. But with Max kind of comes some of the, some of the dramas, right? Where I want to say Eric, right? Eric, is Eric the boss? Is he the big boss? Yes. He's a college classmate of, of Yoli. 
seems to be a good guy. You know, maybe a little bit of the patronizing behaviors, kind of like, what is it? Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Yes. Uh, you know, not that he's some like criminal mastermind, but how do you not get a little jaded or a little bit egotistical when you're, you know, like that? But, but anyways, this idea of like, what, what next with the company? The company seems to be treading water, pardon the pun. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so Max comes in and kind of tries to shake things up. I wonder about like, are you, were you writing kind of specifically about this corporate world? Or do you feel like you were kind of point a finger at more of like, just like the corporate bro, Google startup type of, you know, communities? Yes. I think that community, um, you know, I, I met a lot of folks in that working for a startup. I met a lot of folks who also have a lot of startups hmm. um, and you're right. It doesn't, it's, it's almost like no matter how well-meaning you are, it does kind of, I don't want to say corrupt, but right, that's it, too strong your, it can get to your head, right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. but are you actually at this? Especially at the, you know, this, the, the, the novel takes place uh, in 2017 when a lot of these places were getting money kind mm. of thrown at them. Mm -hmm. um and so i think for many i i i don't want, i don't want to generalize but i can certainly understand i can see how some people would take um an investment as a sign that they are right leaders and that they excel at what they do versus mm -hmm. you know um and that it does corrupt in some way yeah. um yeah, it's literally like here's more money to keep doing what you're doing. Like that's that's definitely a mark of approval, seemingly, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. But you know, our I mean, you shouldn't probably be be doing what you're doing, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> some ways kind of maybe engineer a takeover more on max's side flores is you know not quite sure what to do about that she doesn't have major issues with eric and them but she definitely if she's being honest is like well definitely a lot of things we can do differently try to keep going back to the kind of treading water thing but she's just this idea of kind of the classic she's not really doing what she loves what gives her joy but it does talk about work as a quote-unquote anchor for her being in those years since her father's death, I want to say it's between two and three years when the book takes place, three towards the end. I wonder just about if you can plan it, kind of play armchair psychologist for Flores a little bit about losing her father to cancer. She she nursed him very much of the last you know time in his where he was living at home, um, knowing that he had a terminal diagnosis. But just about her and being emotionless and, and being having trouble expressing those emotions, is that something that's always been with her? Do you feel like that's been exacerbated by the death of her father and kind of how that works? I don't think that she had necessarily um, the desire nor the ability to cope with that loss. Um, I, I think her she, she went to what she to what she knows and where she's comfortable, which is work. Mm hmm. And back to her goal, her focus, her the things that allow her to turn off the emotional yes. switch that she has going on. Keep yourself busy and you're going to less time to think about it, right? It's very simple. Yep, exactly. All those hours, yeah. Yeah. You know, so her mom is in, I think she describes it as la, la tercera edad, right? Like the last mm -hmm. third of her life, if you will. But like the third part of her life, let's say. 
And she's in her like early 60s. She's widowed. She's referred to later in the book as La Viuda Pobre, mm -hmm. which you can maybe see in two different two different ways, right? The literal poorness or more like pobrecita. Right. She finds Vicente. I say finds him. She's known him for many, many years, right? I wonder if you can maybe describe a little bit about the the friendship or relationship, um, the connection that she has with Vicente, who's a, who lives in the neighborhood. Yeah, Vicente is an old friend who she comes to rely on in a new way. Um, they've they they have each experienced um, a loss that is significant to them, you mm. know, in their own, it's in their own way. Each loss mm. is significant in its own way, um, and I think that for Paula she needs a friend she kind of doesn't doesn't feel like shanti is the is the right person to necessarily talk to or even just sit with uh mm. grief about you know because she's mm. so much because you know, she's she's younger she's got yeah. you know, a, a different life stage i guess mm -hmm. but with vicente she's she's engaged here she is engaged in a friendship um with someone who knows her on many different levels right they are both peruvian he also knew martin in some ways his loss i think that maybe she feels like because that loss is what it is it's in, it's in some ways more painful than hers mm. Mm. and so therefore she can find he would understand yeah find, so, and and so so yeah so i do think that that relationship is crucial for her mm. in terms of trying to cope with her own emotions and ex experience of loss. But obviously it becomes, it, it, it turns into something deeper for her. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're, I'm starting to tread very lightly on the plot because people need to read yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Right? I don't want right, to, right? yeah. <laughs> but they do, they do have a history for many, many years. You know, the old soccer games back in the day with the Peruvian community and other communities in the area, get-togethers and just like peace of home, so to speak. You're talking about like the boss and how he can't help but be kind of vaunted. Vicente's, he's got a lot of money from an accent that he had when he was younger. And he doesn't seem to flaunt it. He, I don't know, I, I almost feel like I was wondering like if his kind of living simply is like an affectation or if that's just him. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like he goes and he'll shop at the regular stores and he never, he doesn't dress up as far as we know. He doesn't have like a Bugatti or anything like that, but, but very interesting in that way. I wonder about her creative side, right? She's also a photographer. Are her creative pursuits the yin to the yang of like that corporate, put your head down, work on the computer all day? Yeah, I mean, I think she's still trying to figure out uh, what it is that she's really, truly drawn to. I think her biggest fear is probably that she doesn't have anything mm -hmm. outside of like what she is capable of doing based on her resume. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, certainly just because you take a bunch of pictures it doesn't mean that you're good at it right i mean how yeah. many folks just grab their cell phones and start snapping away and think sure. oh i got so many likes on instagram it must be a fantastic photographer yes, like obviously. that's not the case right yeah. but i think for her it's more of an uh in general she's she's just i think it's an exercise for her to try to mm. figure out sort of what yeah. it is that's really resonating for her well shoot you know with you with your law background i mean did you feel like you feel like this, you know, creative writing, if you will, which is too generic of a term, but creative writing you do. Did you feel like that's like in stark contrast to what you did as a lawyer or not necessarily? Did you feel like you got a chance to like tell stories as a lawyer or was it more kind of like legalese? And no, my, my, I was a, 
I, I was a transactional lawyer, so I mostly wrote contracts. Mm-hmm. Nothing at all. There's no, you know, arc. <laughs> There's no right, character right. development. Right. Uh, there is simply, you know, a very good limitation of liability section and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, indemnification provision or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, there was I mean, it wasn't anything um, creative or mm-hmm. uh, what I what I did enjoy about um, my legal work, although I think that this isn't necessarily typical of most lawyers, um, mm-hmm. is that I got to see different business units, how they functioned Mm. um i got to help them solve their problems Mm -hmm. um and i got to see how you know uh, if if someone wanted something in the contract it usually was because they were concerned about something else Mm -hmm. and so sometimes addressing one business point meant that we really didn't need to rely on the language of a contract But there was no, there was no real. I mean, that's about as creative as it got. Right, <laughs> right. Really Whoa. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving the plot alone, just kind of a couple of themes that really stood out, and I'll say it again and again. But the the way that you deal with uh, with grief is, is so interesting. Let's get back to that in a second. But I wonder about Americanization and immigration. This idea, like, does does Yoli feel guilty that she doesn't speak Spanish as well as mom? Does she? come to terms with that that's just the way it is it's not her fault in some ways kind of trying to defend herself when max is bona fides and other times you know kind of being more honest i wonder where kind of like americanization assimilation kind of comes into play yeah i think that a lot of uh children of immigrants sort of struggle with um with identity mm-hmm. like where and maybe i shouldn't say all of like every <laughs> but like sure. i do think that there's a sense of like well am i you know, with 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 Flores's case, like is she Peruvian enough? Um, is she American enough? Hmm. Um, there are also you know com- Latin American communities that are more um, numerous, right? In in the United States and others. So here in New York, for instance, there's a large Puerto Rican community, a large Dominican community. Hmm. Um, Peruvians are not definitely not as big as either. So, mm. uh, so she's also like not finding um, other Peruvians like her um, at school. At, mm. She's not finding them at work, mm. um, and so I think that makes her feel as and because she doesn't speak you know Spanish as well. Let's mm. say as like mm. others. She does feel as if she it, it somehow that somehow erases the you know the Peruvian in her. Mm. I don't know how much of that is you know like her parents' fault, right? Or like mm. her own <laughs> her own uh, feelings of being deficient in some way. Mm-hmm. But I do think that this idea that we need to fit in is the problem. <laughs> like mm. we actually don't need to fit in. Like you know, like I think it's actually okay to not fit in and to not mm. feel like you have to be all of these things mm-hmm. in order to feel like you're a part of something Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also okay to like not be a part of it of it Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah. um 
so uh, uh, I don't know how, I think that perhaps she is a little too preoccupied with the need to assimilate, the need to fit in, mm. when someone probably just needs to tell her, girl, you're fine just as you are. You don't need to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't need to be part of this riffraff yeah. anyway, you know? You just, you just told her right now. You just told her <laughs> yeah. right now. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. With the seasons being like the the anchor points for the structure. I just thought that transitions and cycles, I guess more transitions is a better word, was so interesting about the book. And you talked already about different seasons of grieving and different types of grieving, different seasons of the year, literally sometimes. And, th- you know, you remember when this person was going through this, this and that, but also like the, like the tercera edad and different part of her life. Right. I just wonder about the transitions and the, and the cycles. And so she's in that transition, you know, as, as someone who got married at 34, I don't think she's old, but she's 33 and she's unmarried. And she's talking about like freezing her eggs, just like the different seasons of life. You're not a hundred years old. You're not old, but I want, but you seem like you wrote so well about the, just the different phases of life. And I kind of wonder how you kind of set, set about that when you, when you sat down to write it, or if it kind of came about as you, as you wrote the book. No, it came about as I was writing it. it you know, it could be taken as such an odd couple. We have the 63 year old and the 33 year old. The 63 year old is definitely more old fashioned doesn't want to know about what her daughter's doing out there in the world. So many ways the book is a great one. If it's, if you want to just a great mother-daughter relationship and history, it's a great one. If you want to know about the corporate world, some TikTok references and such, there it is. Transitions in life and definitely grief. You wrote very, very well about that. So I just want to thank you for letting us get into the lab a little bit and giving us some of the background on the book. And I want to wish you great luck with the rest of your work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome talking to you. Thank you. What a pleasure it has been to speak with Melissa Rivero. Continue good luck to her with her writing and her important work. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chills at Will podcast. You can now subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1, the digit one. You can also subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast channel on YouTube. Like what you heard today? Please retweet this episode info, share it on social media, and via word of mouth. It all helps, and it is all appreciated. Sign up now for the Chills of Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. The January bonus episode for Patreon subscribers is with Boo Trundle. Her book, The Daughtership, is truly one out of one, and it made many lists of the best reads of 2023. You have to check out that episode. Patreon, the Chills of Will podcast. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on this episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 219 with Roxana Asgarian, a Texas-based journalist who writes about courts and the law for the Texas Tribune. Her work has appeared in the Washington Post, New York Magazine, and Texas Monthly, among other publications. She received the 2022 
J. Anthony Lucas Work in Progress Award for We Were Once a Family, A Story of Love, Death, and Child Removal in America. It is a gripping, sad read. It is an important read, and it's one that we'll discuss on this episode, which will air on January 9th. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills, like Melissa Rivero, whose work, like Miss Paula and Flores, gives you chills at will. (laughs) 